Well, it's all about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness and going inside EMS. We are here with you another week. Chris and Kelly, hopefully we're here to inform, entertain, and persuade you as we bring you great topics as we take a walk down the horizon and go inside EMS. Here he is, Kelly. How was your week? Are you ready for another show? Yeah, man, it was good. I'm, I'm, uh, they're working me to death, but, uh, yeah, I'm ready for another show. You're almost ready to retire, aren't you? 50 years old, 58, what are you? I am, the, the end is in sight, man. 54 years old. I just had a birthday last week, so, yeah. You know, it's or, funny that when we start to get up there in the 50s, and the mid-50s, we start to think about when, when do we retire, and hopefully we were smart enough to plan for our retirement. Uh, I think you work for a good company, may offer you great uh, retirement uh, opportunities, but uh you know, one of the things that we need to talk about is probably for the folks that are coming into the career field is to start to think about what retirement looks like. You know, I know that's not what we want yeah. to talk about today, but, you know, my daughter's 25 years old and she's, you know, getting into her first real career. And I keep telling her, what about, you know, putting money away? She's like, man, I don't need to worry about that now. I'm 25. Well, you know what? We don't know what the future holds. So, but uh, we may need to talk about that in a future show, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, because um, I'm I'm one of those people, uh, kind of like your daughter. Uh, the 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 end of the career was always uh, way off on the horizon, and then all of a sudden it's on you. Uh, and and yeah, I do work for a company that that has great uh, retirement and, and profit sharing, uh, and some of my colleagues who've been uh, participating in that for 20 years are ready to retire as multimillionaires. Uh, I, on the other hand. Uh, did not participate in that the first 13 years I was here. So uh, I've done the math. I can retire at age 65 and live comfortably for 11, maybe 12 minutes. And then yeah. I'm going to have to go back to work. You are. So that's going to be a challenge then. Yeah. I mean, being a multimillionaire would be uh, awesome, but I'm a multi hundred dollar heir. So that's all yeah. that I mean. I mean, I'm doing good with that, but that's as far as I got. But uh, good topic today, Kelly. I'll let you set it up for the listeners. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was at the uh, Georgia Providers and Educators Conference last week, and um, uh, Dan Batesy did a lecture called "The Hidden Curriculum." I may not be the exact title of the lecture, but it was uh, it was about the lore and and traditions and. Uh, bad habits and BS that gets passed down in EMS and, and talk to our providers outside of classroom. Uh, and I thought it might be interesting to talk about uh, some of that uh, elements of the hidden curriculum, the things that, that we teach our, our new people uh, that they don't necessarily learn in the classroom and, and how that can be corrosive and, and, and how sometimes it might be a good thing. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm having a little bit of, trouble following year but maybe give me an example of what you're talking about well you know it's just the 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 attitudes that we have for example you might have uh you know how does how does everyone tend to treat drug addicts you know and we teach in class that you shouldn't treat drug addicts you know or, or that that all patients get the the same care uh that we don't discriminate uh but there's there is a class of patients that the older providers uh, will will demonstrate through their actions that uh, is somehow less than everyone else, and, and quite often those are psych patients and 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 drug users, uh, and and we'll do things like administer Narcan as a punishment 
rather than as a uh, as a therapeutic agent, that sort of thing, and, and that somehow that these these people chose to be addicts and that sort of thing. So uh, that's that's one of them, you know. And and it just occurs to me that that as an educator over the years, I've had to battle this time and time again uh, with the old the old hands, you know, the guys with uh, one year of experience repeated twenty times and say, "Well, you don't need to learn, you don't need to know that." Uh, that made me learn that in paramedic school, and I've never used it. And uh, I've been a paramedic for 25 years, and I've never had to calculate a blood gas uh, and that sort of thing. That that really is is uh, harmful to to many of our uh, our younger personnel that don't know better. Because what do we value in this field? Experience, but. Not all experience is good, and a whole lot of people have bad experience, uh, and they pass that off as, as wisdom when it's actually not. How do you think? How do you think that we get there? I mean, so when you talk about the old guard, I mean, you know, fifty-four years old, you're kind of the old guard, right? So when you think about this from a standpoint of where educators come from to get to this point, or how you've transitioned from that the quote unquote old guard mentality to kind of teach them a new uh, vision of EMS. I mean, how did we get here? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know that I'm so much, uh, I like to think I'm, I'm the old guard, but I like to think I'm one of those paramedics with, with 30 years of experience, not one year of experience repeated 30 times. I think that, that as you uh, grow in, in your, your EMS career, you're constantly reinventing yourself the same way that EMS is constantly reinventing it itself. Uh, that if you're practicing the same way you were five years ago, you're doing it wrong. And I, I think that's one of the biggest lessons we can pass on is that, that uh, it's just this, this uh, theme and this overarching uh, attitude of adaptability. Uh, and how EMS is going to change. Uh, the medications we teach you now are not the medications that you're going to be using in the future uh, and that sort of thing. And, and the attitude that students take with them or new EMTs take with them into the field uh, about uh, the things that they're going to experience, the things they're going to learn is every bit as important, if not more so, than the actual knowledge that we teach them in class. You know, and, and that is one thing that one of my uh, my paramedic instructors gave me is I, I took a quickie uh, accelerated uh, vocational paramedic course that was 800 hours long. The entire course was 800 hours, 320 in, in classroom and 240 each of, of hospital and ambulance clinicals. Uh, so obviously there were a great many things not taught in class, uh, but the thing that was made abundantly clear to me the entire time was, is um, uh, choose your mentors well, and uh, the learning has just begun. And and I think that's something that, that sometimes we neglect, uh, that we focus so much on teaching the, the, the kids the knowledge they need to pass the test, uh, but we don't pass on the, the attitude and the traditions that, they, uh, that are going to serve them for a long career in EMS. I mean, we've talked about this forever, right? I mean, we yeah. teach our we teach our students to be linear thinkers, right? If A happens to B, B happens to C, and then you know when we get into the field, we want them to be critical thinkers, and uh, yeah. you know, we, we need to be able to give them. I think you know you and I have talked about your curriculum and how you teach your EMT students, and uh, you know I think you give them that 
to outside the box thinking to say, okay, what else can it be? You know, what are you thinking? You know, and and I think that that's really where we need to be. I think that that's where the big challenge of EMS education comes in now. But when you talk about this from the standpoint of bringing experience into the classroom, sure, we're opening the books and sure, we're putting the PowerPoints on the screen. And, you know, we're talking about how blood goes through the heart and we're talking about the importance of, uh, you know, how to stabilize a long bone fracture and all the things that we need to be able to give them. Where is the where is the wrong in bringing the wisdom into the classroom and where does that turn into lore and where does that turn into a, you know, a benefit? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I think we, that, I think that that's really a crux of being a good instructor is to say, you know, I've been a paramedic for 30 years and I'm going to be able to give you some great education. How do you balance the experience with the education? I think you have to, and that's that's a very tricky uh, path to navigate because we all know that guy who who teaches EMT class through war stories. Uh, so there I was, you know, and 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 most of their their education, uh, the underpinning is is this call I ran one time, uh, and that that presumes that they actually had the right attitude uh, and the right perception of that call from the first time. Um, the the instructor. Uh, a good instructor gives context to to the information they're learning and, and application of how it actually works in the field. And so one of those war stories is is instructional and educational sometimes, but you can't teach your class that way. Um, I think that that uh, we we teach uh, our student we should be teaching our students uh, uh, sound uh, evidence-based medicine and, and stress upon them the importance that we need to have scientific backing for everything that we do. Um, and, and one thing Dan mentioned uh, in, in his uh, talk that, that we've said many, many times is that uh, half of what's taught in paramedic school is wrong. The problem is nobody knows which half. Uh, and that's one of the things my instructors uh, did for me uh, in, in my paramedic training was was they didn't say it in so many words, but they said, look, you know, this is, uh, a lot of this stuff is in flux. We don't know what the paramedic of the future is going to be. We're, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. And, and here we are 30 years later. We're still in that position that we're trying to create the providers of tomorrow, but we don't know what EMS tomorrow is going to look like. We're just, we're just trying to do our best and we're going to hit some things. We're going to miss some others, but the best, uh, the, the best thing you can do for your students, for your new hires, for your mentees is, is teach them, uh, flexibility, uh, and teach them that, that things are going to change and that your the, the North star, uh, on your, on your career compass should be, uh, uh, humanity and evidence-based medicine and not the lore and the bull uh, that passes as as tradition uh, in ems you know one of the things that i think we have to think about though is one of the i, I you you kind of i don't want to gloss over what you said is that we don't know what ems of the future is going to look like and one of the things that has been a downfall i think of ems and certainly i've been in the field has been the ability to um that ems is reactionary yeah and we react to what's happening in the world to change the focus of how we do our business i mean when we got to capnography it was really that the tail started to wag the dog uh 
because now we were bringing people into the ER that uh, we were talking about capnography and the ER wasn't doing that. Usually yeah. when the ER has something new, that's when we try to polish it and bring it into the field. And certainly when it went to entitled CO2, again, another practice that we were, uh, the tail was wagging the dog and we were leading by example. But instead of being reactionary, EMS has to be anticipatory. Mm -hmm. We've got to think about what the EMS is going to look like. And there's been work on, you know, EMS 2050 and so on and so forth, but we can't wait. So I, when you said we don't know what it looks like, instead of waiting what it looks like, we've got to create what it looks like. I know that's not what we're talking about today, Kelly, but I, I want to be able to place that because there's a lot of people out there who are listening to our show that's going to be able to be in positions of responsibility in you know the coming years and they're going to be the ones who are guiding the change and the change has to be what we want to see not what we're being dictated to see but anyway so uh, the question that i had for you after your last response was you know when we think about this how do we balance that now right so how do we you know because there are things that i would think you know i was taught how to use mass pants i was taught you know how to put these stupid things on and how to inflate them and then teaching the ER how they have to be blah, 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 blah. You know, and it takes you whatever, 30 minutes to get in them and it takes you two hours to get out of them. And I remember the first time I used them because I was supposed to and not knowing any better. Um, I went with the patient and uh, we got into the ER and the trauma surgeon was down there and they were all inflated like they were supposed to. And uh, he just tore them off, just tore them off the patient you know yeah. insta crash exactly so you're but but anyway but that was his thing right so i'm like well what the heck is going on here if if, if this is but anyway so when you start to think about this now of how do we balance it um you know because i think that the experience is important but what we don't need to bring into the classroom and that's why i wanted to teach i thought i was a good paramedic i mm -hmm. thought i could teach a good emt i thought i could teach a good paramedic school i thought i could teach a good critical care school and it was the experience that I wanted to bring them. But how do we now balance the, um, I guess, the pain or the hurt that we're doing to these students with the you don't need to know this uh, attitude? You know, I I, um, I I think being an anticipatory, uh, as you were saying earlier, is is something that we're we're starting to get better at. You know, with with uh, the movement you're heavily involved in in the in the mobile integrated healthcare. And, and anticipating what EMS will look like in the future and positioning ourselves to be already in that space uh, when it comes about. You know, you were talking about uh, community paramedicine before there was a before there was a reimbursement model and before there was an ET3 uh, and before uh, uh, major insurers were reimbursing for treatment in place. Uh, and now, um, that they are doing those things, we're already there. Uh, so, so I think we're getting better at, at being anticipatory. But I think one of the things that that we mistake, uh, we quite often mistake knowledge for lore uh, or lore for knowledge. I, I, one of the things that that I was really good at as a uh, uh, as a, a new instructor was that I was exceptionally good at memorizing uh, nuggets of information. 
you know, I, I, I hear something, I see something that, that might be useful to me in clinical practice and boom, it's there. And I can pass that on to someone uh, down the line uh, as, as, you know, wisdom and, and hard won experience. Uh, and only 10 years after the fact did I discover that, you know, that wasn't useful. It's just trivia. It's, you know, uh, Hey guys, you know, did you know that you can, you can estimate, uh, a, uh, patient's central venous pressure by how many centimeters of JVD above the clavicles you can see. And, and that's, you know, that's useful to impress an ER doc or an ER nurse. Uh, but does it have clinical application in the field? Um, and, and, separating out those little bits of, of uh, thing that, that pass for, for uh, clinical experience and knowledge uh, from the things that actually are potentially beneficial, like how to interpret a pleth waveform, how to predict fluid responsiveness with CO2 and, and pleth variability, and those sort of things that are well uh, backed up and, and, and well uh, um, researched. Uh, those things are, are where I'm shifting to these days. I remember I was talking at a trauma symposium yesterday in, in my uh, uh, service area. The major hospitals uh, did a trauma symposium, uh, and I was talking about uh, the trauma triad of death that everyone's heard of. Um, and, and everyone nodded vigorously along when I'm talking about the trauma triad of death. And then the very next slide is IV fluid crystalloid boluses cause, you know, and you bring back up the trauma triad of death. And they had never considered that, oh, my goodness, all these all this saline is causing hyperchloremic acidosis. It's causing uh, uh, sodium and chloride load. It's, it's causing a whole bunch of nasty shifts in body chemistry that uh, impair our clotting processes and stuff. So they had conceptualized uh, the, the trauma triad of death and understood its significance, but they didn't, no one had ever given them the tools to apply it to their own practice. And, and I think that is the kind of knowledge that needs to be passed on nowadays and not the, uh, the old, uh, you know, uh, the femur is the, is the strongest bone in the human body with the, with the tensile strength of pre-stressed concrete uh, and this kind of stuff that passes for, for knowledge, but it's really doesn't have any clinical application. You know what I'm saying? No, I think I do. I mean, so I, it, makes perfect sense so now but what's the tip now how do we balance this for our for the listeners who are going to go in the classroom who are starting to think about becoming instructors you know who really want to kind of do the right thing what do you give them to say uh don't get caught up in this and uh you know be the best educator possible i think your i think your shining star has to be evidence and evidence-based medicine everything that we do clinically Everything that we do clinically needs to be uh, well-researched and well-supported in the literature. Um, and we need to have uh, strong recommendations and strong scientific evidence that it actually is beneficial. Clinically, that's the, the, uh, the debt we owe to our new people and, and to our students if we're instructors. Um, but as far as being stewards of the profession and passing on the lore, I think the humanity is what we need to focus on. When we talk about what EMS is all about 
and and that sort of thing. We start to we need to really focus on uh, on being good human beings and treating everyone with kindness and respect. Uh, and and the, anything any kind of tradition or lore based on being a good human being is a tradition that we need to pass on. And everything that, that, that doesn't have anything to do with that uh, has more to do with burnout and cynicism and, uh, and uh, bitterness that we need to discard and leave by the wayside. But hey, that's what I think. We'd like to hear what you think. Um, what kind of clinical tips and lore do you pass on? And what kind of bull were you taught in the past? We'd like to hear some of your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sevalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.